Uh, we're in Romans chapter 10. Paul writing here, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are seek and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that is, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith, it speaks in this way, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For the prophet Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, by listening. And hearing by the word of God. But I say they have not heard, yes indeed. Have they not heard, yes indeed. Their sound has gone out. To all the earth, their words, to the ends of the world. But this I say, uh, did Israel not know? First Moses says that I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, speaking of the Gentile church. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who do not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for the incredible grace, Lord, that has come to us. Lord, we, like the scripture says, Lord, we were really not looking for you, but you were looking for us. And we thank you, Lord, for your great heart. 
Lord, as we, Lord, celebrate uh, Palm Sunday, Lord, the beginning of this, this Passion Week, Lord, we remember this great act, Lord, where you went to the cross. Lord, you took on the burden, the weight of sin, the sin of the world. And Lord, you transfer to us, to anyone who would put their faith and belief in you, you, would, you transfer to us, so simply, so beautiful, your righteousness. Because Lord, you know, <laughs> we could never become righteous in our own right. We might like to, we might think we, we could, but Lord, we discovered, Lord, uh, how we so failed at those attempts, and we're so thankful. Thankful for this work of salvation. Thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, as we read and consider it this morning in these verses in Romans chapter 10, Father, I pray for us that you would give us, Lord, insight, ability. And Lord, uh, as we're told there, uh, Father, that uh, faith comes, Lord, by hearing, by, by listening, by receiving, Lord, your truth into our hearts, and Lord, believing it, and, and even, Lord, acting upon it. Help us, I pray, to do that. So, Lord, we, we thank you. We commit this time to you, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I think as we read at the very beginning uh, of chapter 10 here, it kind of reminds us in a sense, doesn't it, of chapter 9, the very beginning of that. Paul speaks about his heart, his desire, uh, his passion, the love that he had, even, at, even saying over there in chapter 9 uh, that if he could be accursed, if he could be set aside, uh, that, his, that, his, that the nation of Israel would come in, that he would do that. Kind of very uh, reminiscent of the prayer of Moses uh, you know, back there in, in Exodus as well. And of course, you know, when you think about the passion and the love of God that he puts within the heart of his people, that he does it in a sense with us. He does that with us as well. You know, we have those that we love, those that we're praying for, those that we're concerned. Uh, perhaps maybe we even have those that we weep over. Uh, we weep over their condition, over their situation. Uh, because, you know, they're, they're ignorant. They don't know at this point of the love of God, the purpose of God. Um, and, and we see that in the life of Paul, and we experience that also, too, as the Holy Spirit is birthing that and working that within our hearts and with our lives. But chapter two, uh, uh, 9 actually reminded us of all the privileges, all the advantages that the Jewish people had. It talked about the covenants, um, the Word of God, the Scriptures, uh, you know, God's presence, you know, in their midst, you know, these tremendous advantages that no other people in history had. Yet with all those things that they had, all those great advantages, they missed the greatest one, and that it was their Savior. That was the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, they put him on the cross, um, ignorantly, not realizing. Uh, yes, there was many that came to faith uh, through his mission, through his ministry. But when you think about since the cross, how many have come to faith, um, as we declare, as Paul speaks about the preaching of the gospel, and as the Holy Spirit takes the preaching of the gospel, the declaration, basically, of truth and what he's done, this redemptive, incredible redemptive act that we actually commemorate uh, this week here on Passion Week. And now here uh, in verses um, uh, 1 here of chapter 10, uh, verses 1 and 2, actually, uh, and, and let's actually uh, pick it up in verse 2. He says, I bear them witness, speaking of his people. He says, I bear them, I bear them witness that they have an incredible zeal for God, uh, but it's not a zeal according to knowledge. Now, now, it's important, I think, you know, we talk about, you know, praying for passion, 
you know, praying for just to have a zeal for God. And I think that's a very important thing, you know, to have in our lives sometimes, you know, it seems like we have a passion, you know, a passion for God, a passion for the things of God, a passion, you know, for the gospel. Uh, these are important things. But sometimes, you know, zeal uh, can be taken a little bit, you know, uh, over the edge, I guess you could say. And it's a zeal that Paul says is not according to truth. It's a zeal, it's a religious zeal uh, that sometimes, you know, that we, we see that Paul saw it in his people. He saw it in the nation of Israel because, you know, even with their passion and their passion for God, yet here God was walking in their midst and they put him on the cross. That's how blind sometimes zeal, religious zeal, can be. Uh, and it's important, you know, for zeal to be right. It has to be spirit-led. It has to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And it has to be according to Bible truth. That's why it's important um, that, that we're Bible students, that we're understanding, we're continually reading the Bible. Uh, God, I believe, will give us a zeal for the right things. He'll give us a passion uh, that we need, a passion also, too, a compassion. I think that's very important that we need to um, you know, present that you know, to our world and to those that are around us. But you know, when you think about sometimes religious zeal, there's a lot of things that have been done in the name of God that have been crazy, that have been wacky. Uh, sometimes there are, uh, you know, I think of like the forcing of, within Christian circles, the forcing of holiness. You can't force holiness. Um, and what happens is it gets kind of legalistic. Uh, people, what happens is when you try to force it, people get phony because they have to pretend uh, they have to pretend there's something that they're not. Uh, and that's the beauty of just simply, you know, you know, trusting the Lord and letting the Lord work in people's lives. You know, sometimes in ministry, pastors, uh, you know, they have maybe a, a, a passion or a zeal to see God's people do better, but you really can't force them. That's one of the things that I've learned, uh, having been now in ministry for 30-some years, I've realized that uh, the best thing I can do for you is to be an example to you, to love you in Christ, and to pray for you. Uh, you know, sometimes, too, there's been the forcing of conversions. Uh, this was something uh, that I think originated in Islam. If you study Islam and Mohammed, going back to the 7th century, uh, there was a forced conversions all over the known world at that particular time. Uh, I think the Catholic Church took a page from them uh, relative to the Spanish Inquisition, going through South America, Central America, subjugating people, forcing people to convert. You can't force people to convert. That, that's a work of the Spirit of God. That's something that God does. And one of the things that Paul is simply saying here, that as we basically communicate the truth to our culture, God will take that truth, he'll minister to that truth, and he can transform and he can change you know, that particular life. And um, you know, sometimes you know, zeal is flying planes into a building. I remember uh, back in the Vietnam era, I was a Buddhist monk uh, in Vietnam, and in, in his objection to all that was going on, he set himself on fire. So again, we want to have zeal. We want to have a passion, a love for God. Uh, but again, that originates with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes, again, human zeal can be, can be crazy, can actually be out of control. And, uh, and again, we see what it does sometimes. Now, he says here uh, regarding, as he speaks about his people having the zeal, but not really having the proper understanding, uh, and a zeal, again, according to truth, he says, they're ignorant of God's righteousness, even though, in a sense, he says, seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And you see, God never intended adherence to the law of Moses to be justification. 
He never intended that. That was never God's purpose. Remember, Paul tells us that the purpose of the law, as people would subscribe to it and submit to it, was basically to show them, you know, their inability. They, they could not perform it. You know, that's sometimes, you know, people say, well, you know, the Ten Commandments, great stuff. You know, if everybody would do it, but that's the problem. That is the problem. We can't do it. Uh, as a matter of fact, try to do it. Uh, and, and not only just the keeping of things outwardly, but also to adhering to the spirit of those laws. Remember, Jesus said uh, to those who were talking, saying, well, you know, we never commit adultery. But Jesus said, what about what's in your heart? If you've committed adultery in your heart, if you've undressed a woman in your heart, you, you've had a sexual thing going on in your heart, you have violated that. Somebody says, well, you know what, I, I've never stolen a thing in my life, but have you coveted? <laughs> and yes, we, it's interesting how there's the spirit of the law, not just the external kind of a law, because that's what happened to God's people in the Old Testament. They were just sort of trying to measure up in an outward kind of external way. It's really the very spirit of it. Uh, you know, you can say, you know, you can say, well, I love you, brother, but there may not be any love at all in your heart. And, uh, and, and you know, you can say praise the Lord at the same time you're saying praise the Lord in, in a worship context. You can say praise the Lord but at the same time, too. Your heart can be, you know, some other place. You can you can be, you know, you can be having lunch, you know, after church or your, your heart can be your mind, your thought can be some other place. And so here's the point very simply. They could not uphold and adhere perfectly to the law, and you know what? Nobody can. That was the entire purpose of the Old Testament law. It was basically to, to, for someone to come to a place where they realized, I need help. I need God to do this because I can't do that. And that was the purpose of it, to bring us to that, actually to that point of, of frustration. And he says here, verse 4, Christ is the end. In other words, Christ, Jesus Christ, he's the aim. He's the goal of righteousness. That's why he says, I think it's over in 1 Corinthians, either at the end of chapter 1, I think it is at the end of chapter 1, uh, where he says, basically, uh, Paul says that Christ is righteousness unto us. See, whatever you need to be a Christian, here's the, here's the deal, folks. I know a lot of people, you know, basically take a badge of, you know, Christianity because maybe you've grown up in a denomination or something like that. But I grew up in a denomination like many people, but I was a son of the devil. And, and we need to more, more than take some outward external thing. We need the Holy Spirit living in us. That's the only way that we can really be a Christian, is the Holy Spirit living through us. Um, you know, one of the marks of Christianity is love. Uh, and yet sometimes in, in Christian circles, we can maybe see anything but the love of God. That's why we need a reliance upon the Spirit of God. And Jesus, he's the end. He's the goal of the entire Bible. The Old Testament Bible, it was basically a signpost pointing us to Jesus Christ and what he was able to do. And again, if anybody would measure themselves by the law, they would eventually come to a point where they would realize they fall short because the law was a sin barometer. That's all it was. That's all it was designed to be. Um, Paul said that when we were back in chapter 3, verse 20, that by the law, you know, it, it establishes the sinfulness, you know, of man. It basically reveals to us our condition. You know, that's why when <coughs> the, uh, James says over in his epistle about the Bible that it's a mirror, that as we look into the Bible, what we discover, we discover not only who God is, but we discover who we are. And, and God doesn't condemn us for that. Uh, Self-righteousness and sometimes religious um, 
hypocrisy sometimes condemns people. But that's why we come to God. We come to God with our unrighteousness. We come to him with our condition and with our need because he's the one that can fix us. He's the one that can help us. He's the one that can change the trajectory of our life. For he says here, uh, uh, Moses writes uh, about the righteousness which is in the law, the law of Moses, that the man who does those things shall live in them. So it was always about performance and about doing. Uh, And then he says here in verse 6, the righteousness of faith. This is is what the Bible brings us to. This 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 is the righteousness that God approves of. It's the only righteousness that God approves of. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. He's quoting here, actually, an Old Testament scripture uh, back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30. So what we find that there's a little faith message, you know, back there in the scriptures. And, of course, we see that. We see that at different junctures and places in the Old Testament, you know, pointing us to faith, pointing us, you know, to the cross, pointing us to what Christ would do. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, 30, Paul quotes this and applies it in a New Testament kind of a way where he refers to this as the righteousness of faith or the right faith. Let's just put it that way, the right faith. Because a lot of times if you talk to people, people have faith in a lot of crazy things, even religious people. A lot of times, sometimes you talk to people you know, about their faith uh, in a religious setting, their faith is sometimes in themselves, in their ability, how they can perform or what they can do. And that's not the right kind of faith. That kind of faith will ultimately fail us. See, it has to be a faith in him, a faith in what he can do, a faith in what he promised that he can do in you and in me. That's why I think a lot of times people get frustrated with Christianity when it's presented in the wrong way because it's all about you doing. And I think a lot of people won't even darken the door of a church because they think, well, I can't. You know, they're, 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 they're perfect people in there. They're just wonderful people in there. They're so perfect, I could never connect with them. I could never relate to them. But then when they come in, they find out, yes, we're all just, we're, we're, you know, we're all beggars telling one another where we, can, where we can find food. And we have found grace. We have found mercy. We have found goodness at the cross. We have found all those things that we need for life in Jesus Christ. So he says, do not say, uh, righteousness of faith speaks in this way, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, or that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from above. And I think what he said, and I kind of, when I read that, I kind of relate to when I was a new Christian. When I was a new believer, I was thinking, you know what, if I just, and, and, and there were some certain influences in my life at that particular time, and I remember thinking, you know, if I could just have a vision, I would be a super saint. Or if I could just, if just God would do a miracle for me, then I, I would, you know, I'd be a really a spiritual person. And I think what he's talking about here is just some certain, certain kind of miraculous demands. But you know what the demands are? Here's the thing about demands. Oftentimes it's unbelief that makes demands. Unbelief oftentimes, well, God, you know, if you don't do this for me, you don't do that for me, I'm not going to serve you. I think sometimes we have to be careful about demands because oftentimes uh, they are spoken really out of belief, uh, out of uh, really unbelief rather, because you know what? Faith basically believes and accepts the will of God, the purpose of God. And it trusts God no matter where you are or what's going on in your life. 
But you know, I thought it was something, something's kind of interesting here uh, as Paul speaks about this Old Testament verse about, you know, bringing, bringing, you know, bringing God up, uh, you know, from the depths and, and bringing God down so that uh, if, you know, and I imagine, you know, people think, you know, if I was, if I was, if I lived in the day of Jesus, then I would see things differently. I don't think that's so. I don't, I don't think that's so at all. Because what we're basing that on is if I could see, if I could feel, if I could touch, you know, if I could just sort of be around Jesus, look what happened to Peter. Peter was with him for three years and denied him. Look at, John said, Jesus commit, per, uh, excuse me, performed so many miracles that if you would put them in a book, the world couldn't contain them. And everywhere he went, he performed miracles. And what did they do? They put him on a cross. Remember when Thomas, doubting Thomas, he's, he's kind of unfortunately uh, co-opted that name, that he said, unless, remember all the disciples saw Jesus post-resurrection, they all saw him. And they're telling, they're telling uh, Thomas, and Thomas says, well, no, 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 I'm sorry, I can't accept that. But if I could put my finger in the nail prints, if I could put my hand into his side, then I'll believe. And no doubt he said, no sooner that, uh, uh, you know, Jesus shows up and, uh, you know, and Peter falls to his knees, forgive me, my Lord and my God. But you know what Jesus said to him? You know, Thomas, you have seen and believe, but blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And what that tells us is that, the, the, that there's an incredible power of faith. There's an incredible, awesome power that when we trust God, when we believe God, there's a dynamic there. And, and I believe the dynamic is something that God has provided for those who will put their faith and their trust, not only initially, but isn't our life a life of faith? We, we, you know, Paul said, what? We live by faith. We walk by faith. And God honors that. And again, you can't figure it out. You cannot figure it out. If you're going to come to God scientifically, you'll never come to God. What does the scripture say? By faith, we understand. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, we understand. And as soon as we put understanding in front of faith, then you have to, you have, to have all kinds of proof. And the thing about that is, you know, you're never going to have enough proof. There comes a point in time, and, you know, God is interesting. The, the Lord is interesting how he, he, in a way, because when you look at this verse here, I'm reminded, you know, it's remarkable because in God's magnanimous, incredible grace, he actually gives them what they ask for. And you know what that is? God comes down out of heaven, and he rises up from the grave. But still many would not believe. See, there just comes a point when the truth of God comes into your life and touches your life that you've got to believe. You've got to trust. You've got to commit yourself. It's interesting sometimes when you see, and I've seen it in the Old Testament, because they don't have a New Testament. They, they don't have all that you and I have. And yet to see just some, they have some element of truth and they believe it. And God honors that. He honors it when we trust him. When we lay aside our, our doubts, our fears, our apprehensions. Because that's just part of the old fallen nature. 
But as we simply say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I love what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, even if I die, Job is saying, even if I die, I'm going to die in faith. I'm going to die trusting him. There was a, there was a book called uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's a story of just a whole generation of Christians who had to die for their faith. Can you ever imagine if that ever would happen to you and me? That, that all of a sudden, you're at a point, you're at a juncture, Maybe you're not an old person. Maybe you're a young person. And you realize that just in a very short time, your life is going to be terminated. How does that impact your faith? Lord, why me? What's going on? You know, there are many people, many people have died, many Christians have died in their youth. And just like we come into this life of faith, we have to continue trusting him. Because you know what? He's worthy of our trust. He is so incredibly worthy of our trust. But here's the deal. When you trust him, God will honor that. And you, you, you know the beauty of faith is too? That when you trust him to work in the lives of other people, he does that. that that's the power of faith. That, that's the power of trusting God. That, that's the power you know, that, that we see exhibited within, you know, within and from our God, that he loves people so much that as he is call, calls us into a relationship to pray and to trust him and to reach out to them, he saves them. Isn't that incredible? Isn't he so, isn't he so incredibly awesome and gracious and merciful far beyond anything I think that we really even fully understand? Now, verse 8. But what does it say? Now, what's he saying here? This is the righteousness of faith. Not the righteousness of the law that nobody could really do anyway. But this is the righteousness of faith. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that, that we preach or that we speak. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I think his point here is that belief in Jesus Christ, belief in God's Messiah, is so incredibly accessible. It's so readily available. I, I remember a story uh, by uh, Richard Warmbrand. It was in um, it was in his book, uh, I forget, it was in Prison for Christ or something, and uh, he talks about um, walking up to a uh, Romanian uh, policewoman. This is in communist Romania. It, it basically, eventually, he got thrown in jail for 14 years for his witness for Christ. He was a pastor. And began to talk to her. He mentioned the name Jesus. And she says to him, I have never heard that name before, but it's the most beautiful name. And it just opened the door for, for him to lead her to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Amazing what God can do. You know, when you and I, God takes us and uses us 
just to communicate his truth. And you don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't even have to know a lot. As a matter of fact, I think I used to witness a lot more when I knew less back then, 40 year, 30 some years ago, than I do now. Well, it was 40 years ago, yeah. 44 years ago, as a matter of fact. <laughs> For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth self, confession, rather, is made unto salvation. You see, it's an in, in, etern, internal belief, but an external confession. And, and you, here's how simple it is. It's basically saying, more so in the Greek than it does the English, that a person says, Jesus is Lord. And what, what, you're, what a person is saying is, is they're basically saying, Jesus is my Lord. I still look back and marvel at, at how I was saved. And I know for every one of us, it's a, it's a little bit, it's not exactly the same, it's a little bit different. The circumstances are what you said. You know, it's like the thief on the cross, right? He just basically says, here's, here's his salvation prayer. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, Lord. <laughs> Doesn't sound like the four spiritual laws, does it? <laughs> How do you ever get saved? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The point is salvation is so incredibly simple. You, you can say you don't even need, you don't even need to, to, to have a, you know, a pastor or somebody pray with you. You can just say, Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life. Come into my life. But it's based out of a sincere belief in your heart. It's so amazingly simple. <laughs> and you only find that out. It's very complicated until we make the decision. Because you go through a lot of head games. You go through all these, these, these you know, trippy kind of things. Satan is trying to work on you. Um, trying to, you know, scare you. Create fear. Oh, I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want to become some goody two-shoes. And all the uh, crazy, all these crazy, goofy excuses. I, I believe that we're really not totally normal until we become what God intended us to become. Amen. Until we're saved. Until Christ comes into our lives. And I think it needs to be more than a whispering the words to myself. It needs to be an external confession. And I know a lot of people hold back because you feel like, well, I don't know how to present the gospel or whatever. Just confess his name. Just, just share what God's done for you. It'll strengthen you. It, it'll really empower you. Because again, when, like we, as we're obedient, belief in the heart, and an external confession that Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is Lord. And I can remember when I first came to Christ and it was a little awkward. A little awkward because I didn't know how to approach it. I didn't know much of the Bible. I didn't know really any of the Bible at all. But I just began to say, yeah, I gave my life to Christ and I, I'm changed. 
And there's something powerful about your personal testimony. Something powerful about it. When you just begin to tell folks, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I know something wonderful has taken place in my life when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember when it happened for my wife before it happened for me. And I, and I told you before, I tried to talk her out of it. I tried to talk her out of it. I did my best. And she said to me, she said, Ray, she said, you know the thing you've been hoping for your whole life? The thing you've been, no, the thing you've been looking for your whole life? And it's interesting when she said that because our lives are on a quest. Our lives are on some kind of a quest where we're looking for something to satisfy me. You know, something that's going to really resonate with me. And, and for me, it was hunting and sports and all this kind of thing. And that, they're not wrong. That's not wrong. But that's where my quest was. That's where, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that's where I'm going to be fulfilled. And when she said that to me, Ray, the thing that you're looking for your whole life, she said, I found it. Yeah? What is it? Oh, it was Jesus. Oh. <laughs> no, don't tell me that. But I tell you, God knocked me off within a week. I start hearing things just like Paul's talking about here. You start hearing truth. You start hearing about how God, you start hearing all these people. And I was saved with, with a bunch of Jesus freaks, okay? Mid-20s. And, uh, I mean, they were working people. They were not druggies or anything. They were, they were just, we, I called them Jesus freaks because they all had long hair. And, uh, but they all worked, had good jobs and all that sort of thing. And I started hearing about how God was changing their lives. And that's what God does. God steps in and he changes the equation of our life. He changes the trajectory of our life. He changes and he alters our thinking. And he does it in such a way that you're in total agreement with it. You're saying within your heart, yay, amen. Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God comes in and fills us. And, we, and, and then we have what we were created to be. We have God within our hearts, God within our lives. Well, how are we doing here on time? Now, he says here, <clears throat> for, for the Scripture says that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew, Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. You know, men separate and segregate class distinction, gender distinction, uh, race distinction. But you know what God says? Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I wonder what it was like, I was thinking about this, I wonder what it was like. Because there's a lot of people in our country about 200 years ago that had slaves. And one of the reasons they thought they were, they, they, they wanted them to be slaves, they thought they were less than human. I wonder what happened to them when, they, when the gospel began to get in to the black community. And all of a sudden, their folks are getting saved. Because there's no distinction with God. You know, God's doing an incredible, an incredible work 
among Muslim people. And because most of us are afraid to go in those countries because we want our head chopped off. <laughs> that he's doing it by his spirit, just revealing himself. You remember that story of that woman who worked in a, worked in a gas station? And uh, one of the guys who wrote the book about the dreams that God has been giving to Muslims, his car credit card wouldn't work, and so he goes in uh, to, the, to the, uh, um, the, you know, the pit stop um, store so I can pay in there. And here's a Muslim wo woman there, and he, he was familiar. He, he knew, you know, he wrote a book on the Muslim world. He was a missionary to the Muslim world. And he says to her, he says, ma'am, have you ever had a dream about Jesus? And she looked at him. And he didn't know if she was offended or what. She says, I have been dreaming of Jesus for 30 years. Sometimes it shocks us and surprises us that God's gone before us, that God's revealing himself to people. And he sends us along to help them, to encourage them. I mean, if before I was 25 years old and someone would walk up to me and talk about Jesus, I'd think they're crazy. But then there came that time where he prepared my heart. I mean, even though I fought with my wife, in many respects, I was ready. I was an avid reader. I, could, I just devour books. There, there, was a, there was an emptiness in my life. There, there was a hunger in me. And, and I thought perhaps maybe in psychology or that's where it was going to, you know, that, that's where I was going to be satisfied. But I'd go through the books and I'd be like, nah, nah, nah. This guy, I'd read three or four of this guy's books and that guy's books. And nah, that, they don't, they, 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 that's not where it is. But as soon as Christ came in to my life, I knew that I knew that I knew, just like many of you. You know it's right. It's the perfect fit. Whoever calls, verse 13, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's re this, these kind of verses are repeated many times through Scripture because why? It's a guarantee. That's our part, isn't it? This is the human responsibility part, right? That if we will call upon him, he'll save us. It is simple. It's easy. We see in verse 14 and verse 15, 16, or verse 14, 15 rather, that God has chosen basically to work through the vehicle of evangelism and through our lives. Remember, we have a commission, don't we? Matthew 28, to go ye into all the world and to preach the gospel. And he, he quotes here from Isaiah 52 and verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of good, of good things. I don't know. I've never seen two beautiful feet. What about you? When I look at feet, man, they're kind of bony looking and I look at my feet, and I get bunions on both feet. It's like, oh, man, there's not, nothing beautiful about those feet. But you know, here's the point. Here's the point. For, for basically, for millennia, feet were the, mode of, the only mode of transportation. And what made those feet beautiful is, you know what? They brought the gospel. They brought the gospel. We had some beautiful feet around here a couple weeks ago, and they went marching down to Guatemala, and they took the gospel. 
to encourage and, and to see folks, you know, um, get blessed. And, they, and God, really, God really used the team. The trip was an absolute success. Maybe God wants to use your feet. I think he does. May mean taking the gospel next door or to the, across the aisle into another cubicle and reaching out with the good news. That's how God does it. That's how God does it. And like I said to the first service, you know what? Anybody can be a preacher because a preacher is simply a speaker. He's simply a person who declares the truth of what God has done for us in Christ, that he has saved us, that he's redeemed us. And he wants to use us. Now, speaking of Israel, then and now, he says they have not all uh, obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, uh, Isaiah 50, uh, 53 there. And I think, you know, you can also say that about the Gentile age, can't we? Um, many have heard, but certainly not all have believed. But look at verse 17. I love this verse. It's kind of one of the favorites here in chapter 10. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Very simple. Faith takes place when we hear the word, we believe it. We act upon it. It shows you God does it. You can't force anybody to believe. You can't. It's ridiculous. But when people hear the truth, that's why Jesus said the truth will set you free. We have to hear it, believe it, and then in sincerity, act upon it. God will honor that. God will honor that if we if we respond in that kind of a way. Faith comes by hearing. That's how faith comes. Real faith is always based on the word of God or the truth of God. Not based on anything, not based on feeling. That's why sometimes people have feelings and faith and all kinds of crazy things. But real, genuine, biblical faith comes because, man, I've, I've heard the word of God. It has inspired me. It has encouraged me, and I want to act upon it. And, and you know what? <laughs> if we ask, I think we have to be sometimes like the guy who brought his, his son uh, to Jesus, and, and it, was a really, it was a messed up situation, demon-possessed kid. And, and, and Jesus obviously sees and knows the unbelief in the man's heart. And Jesus says to him, only believe. Because he had a situation in his family that, that was so bizarre and so messed up. And I think sometimes even today, you know, people have things in their family that seem to be so far gone. Well, I've taken them to all the doctors, all the psychologists. Jesus can do something? Yes, he can. And he looked at the man and he said, I only believe. And the man said back to him, and I respect him for saying it. He said, help thou my unbelief. And I think we need to be honest with our doubts, with our fears, with our unbelief. And we need to say to the Lord, Lord, help me 
help me, Lord. I'm struggling with this. In, in the life of faith as I've lived with the Lord for the last 44 years, I've had struggles. I've had difficulties. And, and that's where I have cried out and I said, Lord, help me. Help me to accept this. Help me to work through this. Lord, I need your grace. I need your help. And he has never let me down. Oh, our God is so faithful. He's so gracious. He's so kind. Far more than we can be as human beings. But we need to call upon him. We need to believe in the truth that he speaks into our lives and act upon it. So he says, verse uh, 18, we need to wrap up here. How are we doing? Their sound has gone out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Now, he's, to, he's basically, re, basically repeating Psalm 19, verse 4. And what's he talking about? The heavens, what, declare the glory of God, the firmament or the skies show his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto, unto night reveals knowledge. In other words, there's revelation in nature. And I've experienced it. I experienced it many years ago as a, a young Marine in Vietnam on a bunker smoking a cigarette on night watch looking up at the sky. And listen, folks, I, 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 I had no aspirations to have a religious moment. God was so far from my thoughts. I looked up at the star-studded sky in the Far East. I've never seen so many stars in, in the sky uh, since. And I looked up there and I just said, I said, there has to be a supreme being who created this. And there are many people where God begins to meet them in the area of natural revelation where they begin to see God, the handiwork of God in nature. But the point that he's making here if nature itself cries out the very existence of God, how much more so and better now that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have the Holy Spirit to take our words and make them resonate within someone's life. But Isaiah is very bold when he says, and he's speaking of us here in verse 20, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest of those who did not ask for me. And when you think about this, folks, this is magnanimous, incredible grace. And here's what it's telling us. God loves you so much that he pursues you. He pursues you. He pursues people. Like I said, I wasn't looking for God. All of a sudden, God, you know what God did to me? He interrupted my life. Oh, and I'm so thankful he did. I'm so grateful he did. And this is the marvelous grace of God. And maybe this morning he's reaching out to you. you you've heard some truth and you're, you're, you're reasoning. Or maybe you're saying, not now. The Bible says today is the day. Whenever God speaks to us, now is the accepted time. You have an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. 
And let me tell you, from my 44 years of experience, there's nothing is so wonderful, so great, so awesome. I can't even imagine my life now without him. That's why, the, that's why we, we say with, with, when we're far from Christ, we're lost. But then he comes and he finds us and he reveals himself to us. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So again, here, we, have this, we also have great grace here. Great grace to a very stubborn people. And God is simply saying here, and we're going to see this more so in chapter 11 next week, that you know what? The Jewish people, they have put them on the cross. They may be a stubborn and a contrary people, but you know what? God's not finished with them. God has got a future purpose, a blessed purpose for his people. They're set aside right now. He's got them in a holding pattern. But pretty soon, he's going to bring them, you know, back. Um, and they're going to know him as a nation, even though there's many, many Jewish believers today. They're going to know him as a nation. So let's pray. Uh, I want to encourage you that if you need prayer personally, maybe something that was said today, you're saying to yourself, I I want God in my life. I need him in my life. We want to help you to do that. We'd like to be able to just minister to you personally. So there's a prayer room over here and um, encourage you uh, to please, um, again, if, if the Lord is touching your life right now, and he has been. And I believe that the mere fact that any of us are here today, a divine appointment, he's got a purpose. He loves you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel that tells us of your great love for us. Lord, we thank you as we remember, Lord, this Passion Week. Lord, you went to a cross, Lord, not just for the sins of the world, but individually, Lord, for our sins. And we thank you, Lord, as you became our our substitute. Lord, you took our judgment. You took our sin. You gave us pardon. You gave us, Lord, your very nature. And for that, Lord, we we are blessed, we are honored. I thank you for those that are here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd go with us this week. Guide and direct us. Lord, we want your lordship in our lives. Help us, we pray, to be people of faith. Lord, always hearing your word. Always believing. Always obeying. Always surrendering ourselves to you. We pray and ask and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.